When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And I have plenty of wonderful merch in my store, and the link is in my show notes. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. Okay, on with the show. I'm Craig Baird, and this is From John to Justin. Before I get to the episode, I want to mention that in March, I'm hitting three years since I started podcasting full-time. And I want to do a Q&A episode, so I'll answer questions about Canadian history, about myself. Just email craig at canadaehx.com. Well, we finished our look at the first five premiers of Nova Scotia, and next week we're going to look at the first five premiers of British Columbia. But right now we're going to be doing a special episode looking at Paul Martin Sr., His son served as Prime Minister from 2003 to 2006, but despite that high post, it can easily be said that Paul Martin Jr.'s father had a much bigger impact on Canada. For decades, he was the right-hand man to Prime Ministers, and he helped shape Canada into what it is today. As with so many things through history, though, he's often forgotten, and his impact fades into history. Paul Joseph James Martin was born in Ottawa on June 23, 1903. His paternal grandparents had come from Ireland, while his paternal grandmother came from a French-Canadian family with deep roots in Canada. When he was an infant, his parents moved to Pembroke, Ontario. In 1907, Martin contracted polio, something that would shape him for the rest of his life. For a time, he was unable to walk, and his siblings took him to school in a child's wagon. Other boys would throw snowballs at him, tease him, and try to tip the wagon over. Due to polio, he was left with a weakened left arm, and it showed him the importance of developing a vaccine to deal with the terrible disease. To counter the weakness in his arm and leg muscles, he swam daily throughout his career, all the way up to his 80s. As a child, he saw his father work at a grocery store, and for a time be unemployed. This would push him to later advocate heavily for government unemployment insurance. And originally he planned to go into the priesthood, but Martin became fascinated by Sir Wilfrid Laurier and chose instead to pursue politics. When Laurier died in 1919, Martin skipped classes and walked 15 kilometers to pay homage to the man lying in state. He said years later, The following day I went to the Basilica and watched with keen interest as Canadians from across the country gathered for the funeral. I could not get in, so I boosted up a tree on the other side of Sussex Street and watched as the funeral procession came out. Martin attended St. Alexandra College in Gatineau, Quebec, and then studied philosophy at St. Michael's College in Toronto. 
Martin then studied law at Osgoode Hall Law School during his postgraduate studies at Harvard, Cambridge, and Trinity College. Moving to Windsor during his summer break at the age of 20, he worked in a Ford plant. Other summers, he worked as a cashier at racetracks. In 1928, he attempted to win a provincial seat in the Ontario legislature, but unfortunately failed. Upon his graduation, he worked briefly in Toronto, but moved permanently to Windsor in 1930 to set up his own firm. In 1935, Martin was elected to the House of Commons, where he would remain for over three decades. The Liberals had just swept back into power, having defeated the Conservatives by winning 173 seats, the most in Canadian history at that point. Almost immediately, Martin began to rise up the Liberal ranks thanks to his experience with international relations and law. In 1937, he married Eleanor Alice Nellie Adams, and together they would have two children, including the aforementioned Paul Martin Jr., during the Second World War, despite the fact that he was in Parliament, Martin tried to enlist three times for active service, but he did not qualify physically. He then enlisted as a private, and by all accounts, served with pride. Prime Minister William Lyme Mackenzie King made him the parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Labour in 1943, and by 1945, Martin was appointed as the Secretary of State. One year later, he was the Minister of National Health and Welfare, an area where he would have a big impact. In early 1946, Martin introduced the Canadian Citizenship Act. Prior to this point, a Canadian citizen was designated as a British subject who was born, naturalized, or domiciled in Canada. In 1921, the status of Canadian National was introduced. On April 2, 1946, the Act was given first reading in the House of Commons and received its royal assent on June 27, 1946. It was implemented on January 1, 1947, with Prime Minister William Lyne Mackenzie King becoming the first Canadian citizen. In 1948, Martin launched the $30 million annual health grant system, followed by an expansion of the Family Allowances Act and the Old Age Pensions Act. At the Liberal Convention on August 7, 1948, the first held since 1919, Louis St. Laurent was nominated for leader along with three others, including Martin. In the end, Martin withdrew from consideration and the convention would ratify the decision on November 15, 1948, making St. Laurent the 12th Prime Minister in Canadian history. As Health Minister, Martin brought in a series of health grants and helped Canada move toward the National Health Insurance Program. Now, this was not favoured by Prime Minister Louis St. Laurent, but Martin threatened to resign if it wasn't implemented, and St. Laurent agreed to implement it. Martin said after being criticised for her support for hospital insurance, Hospital insurance is not socialism, nor is it a socialistic device or concept, nor does it have any essential relationship with the socialist philosophy. Often his views within the Liberal cabinet were seen as too extreme, and the pace that he wanted things implemented, such as health insurance and old age pensions, too swift. He was known for fighting strongly in Parliament for what he believed in, regardless of how others in the party may have viewed it. Speaking in Parliament, he was known for his windy speaking style that some said artfully concealed more than it revealed. He was fluently bilingual, and friends and foes said he mastered the art of befuddlement in both languages. The Vancouver Sun wrote of Martin. He was a short man with a face that could well have worried his mother. He was jowly, his bagged eyes behind strong glasses always serving large and small groups for people to talk to. Martin was a professional politician who needed no professional handlers. He handled himself. 
Martin would be instrumental in helping ensure that the polio vaccine was available to all Canadians, even as some worried about its safety. On April 25, 1955, reports began to appear that some batches of the vaccine, produced by the Cutter Laboratories in California, had not been properly activated. A total of 79 cases of polio were tied to the vaccine, and the U.S. Surgeon General recalled all of the Cutter vaccine and a new polio surveillance system was set up. In total, 200 children were left paralyzed and 10 would die. On May 7th, the United States suspended its vaccine program. There was a great deal of debate of what to do. Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent was hesitant to allow vaccines to continue, but Paul Martin decided to continue the program in Canada. After all, Martin was a survivor of polio, and polio also hit his son, future Prime Minister Paul Martin. Martin chose to continue with the vaccination after getting advice from experts and seeing no cases of polio linked to the Connaught vaccine, which was the only one used in Canada. By not stopping the program, Canada was able to show that the vaccine was safe and effective, and due to this, the United States restarted its polio vaccine program in July of 1955. Paul Martin's son, Paul Martin, would speak about his memories of polio, which he contracted at the age of 8 in 1945, stating, What I remember growing up in southwestern Ontario was the polio was an annual affair that took place in the summer. Every kid was warned by his mother and his father about it. He knew it was going to happen. That was a fact of life. It was also, by the way, probably what saved my life. Martin woke up one morning and felt strange, telling his mother he had a plate in his stomach. He was then on his way to the hospital in Windsor, where he would stay for a month and a half, he would say. There was a fellow older than me in the ward, in the bed just down from me, and they brought him in an iron lung. Martin had polio in his lungs, and when he asked what the machine was, he was told it was an iron lung, and that was where he was going to end up. Paul Martin said later, I've got to tell you, that's when I suddenly realized what I was in for. In 1955, Paul Martin Sr. negotiated an agreement that allowed for the expansion of the membership of the United Nations, allowing it to become the organization it is today. His work allowed 16 new members to join the General Assembly. Last week at the United Nations, Canada broke a four-year-old deadlock on world disarmament proposals. Percy Saltzman now talks with Canada's voice at the United Nations, the Honorable Paul Martin. Martin, do you really think then that we have broken the deadlock in the Cold War? Well, I won't say that we have broken the deadlock in the Cold War, but what we have been able to do is, for the first time since the end of the Second World War, we have been able to obtain the consent of the Soviet Union uh, to a resolution as a result of which it will now be possible uh, to begin very important discussions having to do with disarmament. That represents an achievement of very great significance. It is the first time since 1946 that the Soviet Union has agreed to support a measure put forward uh, by the West, and it is the first time in the history of the United Nations that every member of that body in the political committee has supported by their vote this important resolution, which is essentially a resolution on procedure. And on Thursday afternoon in the General Assembly, this resolution, which was originally a Canadian resolution, and later received the support of the United States and France and the United Kingdom, and now the Soviet Union, will be put to the general membership of this world organization. 
1956, he steered through the House of Commons the legislation that would allow for the National Hospital Insurance Program in Canada. And after Louis Saint Laurent retired as leader of the party, another leadership convention was held in 1958. This was arguably the best chance Martin had to lead the party. Only three candidates ran, Lester B. Pearson, Martin, and Harold Henderson. On the first ballot, Pearson received 1,074 votes, Martin received 305, and Henderson received one, likely voting for himself. Pearson was the new leader of the party on his way to becoming Prime Minister, and Martin had to wait another decade to try again, hoping for a different result. In 1963, Pearson appointed Martin as the Secretary of State for External Affairs. As a first step toward disengagement, the bombing of the North might be terminated, and the demilitarized zone restored to its intended status, subject to effective international supervision. Second, a freezing of the course of military events and capabilities in Vietnam at existing levels. Third, the cessation of all hostilities between the parties, that is, a ceasefire. And finally, following the ceasefire, withdrawal of all outside forces whose presence in the area of conflict was not provided for at Geneva, and the dismantling of military bases. During his time in the cabinet post, internal conflicts erupted on Cyprus. Martin played an instrumental role in having a peacekeeping force sent to the island, and that force remains on the island to this day. Eventually, Lester B. Pearson retired, and Martin once again tried to become leader of the party. Unfortunately, this time he was up against the up-and-coming Pierre Trudeau, who was the choice of Lester B. Pearson. Trudeau didn't confirm if he was running or not, and Martin attempted to find out whether that was the case. In the election race, Trudeau would be his main challenger despite the age difference. On January 23, 1968, he sent his son to spread the message that he wanted to be identified with the leading wing of the party, not the old guard. But despite his best efforts, the leading wing of the party put their support behind Trudeau. Early in the race, the first polls had Martin leading, but this was because the poll released in early March was taken in early February, before Trudeau officially announced his candidacy. In that poll, Trudeau stood second nonetheless. But then as Trudeau mania swept Canada, Martin found he was sinking behind Trudeau in the polls, but it was not for the lack of trying to win. Martin often spent the entire day on the phone, from breakfast until late into the evening, talking to supporters and Liberal Party members coast to coast. But... It was the 1960s, and the world was changing, and Canada seemed to want new faces, not someone who had been in Parliament since the Great Depression. Despite his best efforts, Martin was simply no longer a front-runner by the time the convention arrived. On April 6, 1968, the leadership convention was held. On the first ballot, Martin finished a distant fourth with 11.6% of the vote, tying with the young and dynamic John Turner, while Trudeau had 31.5% of the vote. Martin knew he had no chance of winning, and he gave an emotional withdrawal speech that turned out to be his farewell address in politics, but he chose not to endorse any other candidate. The Windsor Star wrote, It eluded him, and with heartbreak, few men have come so close to making it, and then having it nipped away with jet speed. Why? Time and the times ran out on Martin. Suddenly an era had changed and left Martin behind. With that loss, he knew his chance of becoming Prime Minister was over. According to his son, Paul Martin Jr., his father was filled with anguish. The evening of the loss, Turner called Martin and invited him and the entire family out to brunch. Paul Martin Jr. would say later, He didn't have to do that, 
but he did. Paul Martin Jr. was at the convention, and seeing his father finish fourth has been cited as the spark of ambition Martin had that led him to eventually becoming Prime Minister himself. Martin chose not to run the 1968 federal election, ending 33 years in Parliament, but his time in government wasn't quite over yet. The Windsor Star wrote, Known around the world and across the land, he's best known here where he has dominated politics for years. Admired and sometimes hated, Martin's constituency ranged far bigger than Essex East. He had power, and he used it. Over the course of his parliamentary career, he never lost an election in his riding, ten straight wins in all. Often, he took 50-60% to 60% of the vote in those elections. One reason for his success was he was a pioneer when it came to using poll-by-poll surveys and check-back visits, direct mail methods, and vote projections. It was said his workers could predict, almost exactly to the vote, how the election would turn out in the riding days before the election happened. He also kept track of birthdays and anniversaries long before computers came along. Once, he bought 2,000 roses and sent them to individual constituents, saying they were from the coffin of William Lyme Mackenzie King. He was known to remember the names of constituents he had not seen in years, and some said he had a database of 50,000 names in his head, ready to identify anyone who came up to him in Windsor. One story told of a woman who came to his Windsor office and expressed dismay that she feared she was not worthy of a Roman Catholic faith. Martin, who had just returned from the Vatican, pulled a rosary from his pocket and gave it to her with the words, The Pope heard of your good works. He asked me to give you this. As the story goes, the woman was on cloud nine when she left the office. Then, in a humorous part of the story, Martin told his aide to order another shipment of rosaries. True or not, this showed the importance of the people in the writing to Martin. From 1968 to 1974, Martin was the government leader in the Senate of Canada, and from 1975 to 1979, he was the High Commissioner to Britain, the Windsor Star reported. At age 69, Mr. Martin astounded the London diplomatic community with his energy and knowledge and his aggressive promotion of Canadian interests. In 1976, he was awarded the Order of Canada, and in 1983, Martin released the first volume of his memoirs, A Very Public Life. A second volume was released in 1986. And there's plenty to talk about in his memoirs thanks to half a century in public life. He once said, I've met everyone there is to meet. One of the greatest honours of Martin's life came in 1992 when he was given the rare honour of the title Right Honourable. This is reserved for the Chief Justice of Canada, the Governor General, and the Prime Minister. But due to the immense impact Martin had on Canada, that honour was extended to him. In late August 1992, Martin broke his hip, spending three weeks in the hospital. And while it seemed as though his condition was improving, it suddenly took a turn for the worst. On September 14, 1992 in Windsor, Martin passed away. The Ottawa citizen said of him, He was an institution, familiar, enduring, as Canadian as hockey or maple syrup. He seemed to have been with us forever, and would remain for a long time to come. Prime Minister Brian Mulroney said, The life of Paul Martin is an example of patriotism, devotion, and honesty, and one that will live on forever in the history of Canada. Liberal leader Jean Chrétien said, One of the key builders of modern Canada is gone. Flags across the country were put at half-mast, and the 900-seat Assumption Church in Windsor was filled with dignitaries. His body travelled along an 11-kilometre journey with police officers controlling traffic. Some of the attendees of his funeral included John Turner, John Chrétien, Sheila Copps, Bob Ray, Mike Harris, and Alan McKeeran. They were joined by a few dozen members of Parliament, most of whom had not been in Parliament when Martin was serving as an MP. 
an honor guard of 75 Knights of Columbus stood outside of the church during his funeral. On December 12, 2003, Paul Martin Jr. became the 21st Prime Minister of Canada, and as he walked in to be sworn in as Prime Minister, he carried the flag that flew over Parliament Hill on the day that his father died in 1992. So as one Prime Minister walks away, it's clearly the dawn of a new day. Here's the CBC's Paul Hunter. On a day steeped in history and tradition, Paul Martin brought some of his own. Neatly folded in his hands, the bright red Canadian flag. To be with Martin as he fulfilled a lifelong dream. To be sworn in as Canada's Prime Minister, the country's 21st national leader. I, Paul Martin, do solemnly and sincerely promise and swear that I will truly and faithfully, and to the best of my skill and knowledge, execute the powers and trust reposed in me as Prime Minister. So help me God. And with that, his long wait was over. In the crowd, the rest of the new Martin government to be revealed one by one in a massive overhaul of Jean Chrétien's previous cabinet. Several places are named for Martin, including a building in downtown Windsor and the University of Windsor's Law Library. When asked in 1974 about how he imagined his retirement years, Martin said, I envision myself years hence, walking along Wellington Street on a quiet night when the snow has completely engulfed the ground. Through the iron fence, I see our stately centre block all lighted up. The two houses in session. Mr. Pearson's flag is moving in the breeze, and I say to myself with pride and with a feeling of anew, I used to work there. I hope you enjoyed that special episode about Paul Martin Sr. Next week, we're looking at the first premiere of British Columbia. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Windsor Public Library, Citizen of the World, Volume 1, Grand Prairie Daily Herald Tribune, Windsor Star, Ottawa Citizen, Montreal Gazette, and the Vancouver Sun. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many you can sink your teeth into. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those links in the show notes.